three, two, one, go. Welcome back, everybody, to the Triad of the Force podcast, a podcast from three Puerto Rican friends coming together to do deep dives into Star Wars and other nerd-related media. This is season three, but today we are doing a very special bonus episode, especially because we weren't even allowed to talk about it until today. So, Goose, why don't you tell our awesome listeners the cool shenanigans that we've been into we, recently we have been yeah we have been up to some really cool <laughs> shenanigans lately uh, it seems that like a star wars celebration we've kept the celebrations after celebration to some extent <laughs> uh, if you've been listening to us for a while obviously you knew that uh, we were luckily selected to offer uh to like share the stage with other podcasters at the podcasting stage at star wars celebration and after that we've like you know uh, had some good luck in the world of Star Wars and podcasting, and we've been able to talk to a couple of cool people, including like Marisa Alvarez, who played Nietzsche Horn, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then thanks to Lucasfilm, we were able to talk to the director and executive producer and writer for Star Wars, the Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation Special, which was amazing. But uh, recently, we were actually able to join the Press Junket Roundtable for... This little show that's coming out on Disney Plus uh, that some of you may or may not have heard about, but Andor, that is correct. Tried of the Force was at the press junket for Andor, talking so to a couple exciting. of the celebrity stars that were there, which was amazing. Uh, big shout out to Disney and Lucasfilm for giving us a sweet opportunity like be there and talk to some amazing uh, artists and actors yeah. that were part of that show, including... Kyle Soller, who plays Cyril Karn, including Denise Go, who plays Deidre Miro, including someone who you might know, Genevieve O'Reilly, who <laughs> plays the wonderful Mon Mothma, and least but certainly not last, <laughs> Diego Luna, our Mexican Hispanic Latinx king, who plays the title character of Cassian Andor. So, oh my God, that was amazing. Nani, how did you feel when we? got that news that we were going to be able to join the, the the round table oh my god i was freaking out i couldn't believe it i mean i was freaking out when we got you know the lego star wars summer vacation mm -hmm. i thought that was a huge deal still think it's mm -hmm. a huge deal but i mean then suddenly kind of last minute we get the invite for andor which i've been really excited about and mm -hmm. if you've been listening to us ever since like that first teaser came out we've been slightly obsessed with the whole thing when we get this yeah. notification and the crazy thing is when this happened i mean i was in the middle of covid that i got i was super super <laughs> a little, sick a little sick yeah like super sick um yeah everybody out there get the booster it really helps um but i was still really sick and that news kind of revived me i was like i don't mm -hmm. care how much like medicine i have to take or whatever i am joining that uh. <laughs> that is true there was a there was a pre-email nanny and a post-email nanny because yeah I, there was there was definitely a shift not only like in your mood but definitely in your voice there was a little ho uh, coarseness in yeah. your voice a little bit of stuffiness and all of a sudden like all these symptoms just went away <laughs> i would say that your covid maybe was psychosomatic no it wasn't you were definitely no sick. no uh, no but, but we can say that maybe maybe star wars itself 
is a cure for COVID. It is, it is, <laughs> it is, it, it is a cure for, it, is, it definitely brings joy and happiness. Yeah. Uh, and this was definitely one of those really, really, really cool opportunities that we will forever, forever be thankful oh, yeah. for. And it's something More that I don't please. know. Oh, yeah, please. Oh. <laughs> uh, humbly, humbly mm -hmm. put it out into the world. Uh, but it's one mm -hmm. of those things that it's interesting because, I mean, I've never done anything like that before. I mean, the most we've done were like some of like the interviews we've done to like other fellow podcasters and some other actors that we've been very lucky to be able to talk to here on the podcast. But As we slowly, slowly try to learn how to do interviews. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> be, be, be somewhat proficient. And uh, like some of our <laughs> other podcasting friends were very, very good at interviews. Very, yeah. Uh, but it was, it was definitely an interesting experience because they had told us it was going to be like this round table thing. And uh, so we, I, I didn't know what that meant. You yeah. didn't know what that meant. So it's just like, mm -hmm. how do we prepare for something that we have no clue what it is? It was actually a very, a beautiful experience because it's trying to come up with a trying, bunch of questions so you yeah. don't repeat other people's questions and, the both yeah. of the both of us trying to figure it out and then like uh, our friend brian from pink milk was who who was also part of this round table was also texting me like crazy trying to figure things out so like between like all of us just trying to get a handle on what the situation was and for those of you who don't know uh, i'll just give you like a brief overview of what the press junket round table was like uh, i mean you'll listen to it in a couple of minutes but uh, just so so you know just in case one day you are <laughs> in that <laughs> position you can be ready uh unlike us who were not i mean we we, we, I think uh, we, we tried we did we did well you'll you'll you'll, <laughs> you'll listen to it but it was basically uh we thought we were going to be with like other media uh like media personalities and journalists like i don't know from other like collider or ign or something like that thankfully we were placed with a other with a big group of podcasters and I'll get to some of who those podcasters was because that was actually a very nice, comforting surprise. Uh, but basically, you're like with around 10 or 15 other uh, podcasters with the talent. <laughs> In this case, obviously, uh, like I mentioned, like Cal Soller, Denny, Denise Go, uh, Genevieve O'Reilly, or Diego Luna. In a Zoom call, which is the most interesting thing, is that like you're doing Zoom for this these things. I thought it was going to be some higher technology, but no. Hey, just, they use just Zoom. like the rest so. of us mortals. Just like the rest of us mortals. Uh, but then you're only allowed one question and no follow-up questions. And obviously you, have, you just keep going through and that's that's where the clincher starts. And if you, I hope you know what I mean by the clincher. I, I'm not going to explain it. This is a family-friendly show. Uh, but because then you, you can't just go in with one question because what if the first mm -hmm. person asked the one question that you're going to ask? And then what if the next four people, because you don't know what order mm -hmm. you're going to be in, and then one of the next four people asked the next four questions. You have to be able to like adapt and improvise. I always forget how that meme goes, but if you know that Bear Grylls meme, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You have to adapt, overcome, improvise. Uh, and thankfully, we were like we were able to get some questions that other people didn't ask. Although in that first one, with well, actually in the second one with Mon Mothma, like the first question that they the asked one that was we the wanted first to ask question the most. that we wanted yeah. to ask. Boom, done. And, <laughs> and it's a and it's, it's a really fine. tough. It's a tough thing to prepare for because we Especially haven't seen the show. Especially you're so nervous yeah. because you're with these amazing actors who were, yeah. you'll obviously you'll get to the interviews, but I was impressed with how good they're at this and the fact that they're doing this all day, all day. long oh, and they're man. still so nice and so available to just answer these questions and, and try to do it to the best of their abilities. I was really, really impressed. And it was yeah. very, very 
enjoyable and not, and not experience. miss a beat like those yeah like, like no seconds and sometimes really complicated questions that it's like yeah i got this mm -hmm. yeah, yeah um and all of us here freaking out like oh my god what do we say what huh they're pros all they're we pros. have to do is they know one what question yep and, and and that was a tough part like how do you ask questions about a show that hasn't come out and we haven't seen and you can't spoil anything and yeah yeah hard so it was it was it was definitely difficult but definitely fun it was, oh it was yeah definitely it was an incredible experience. experience oh yeah but uh when we got into when we then when we get into uh the zoom lobby and all of a sudden like we started seeing like oh brian from pink milk or alex from star wars explained yeah. or or our friends from sky talkers or, or brandon from talking bay 94 it was like okay yeah it's all podcasters yeah. <laughs> you're like okay we're among friends this is okay the 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 pressure just dropped immediately because like okay well if you if you're gonna mess up at least mess up in front of friends don't don't mess up in front of like <laughs> uh, you know I don't know some like Walter Cronkite or something rest in peace but you know what I mean uh, it was it was beautiful it was great and then all of a sudden you're in a Zoom you're in a Zoom lobby and then Diego Luna just comes into the Zoom lobby and he's like oh crap like I'm, I'm in a Zoom call. like usually I'm in Zoom calls for work with my boss or my coworker or or whatever and all of a sudden I'm in a Zoom we're in a Zoom call with yeah diego and magnificently luna. in like my screen i was like right next to diego luna i was like hello and mine in mine i was as well uh, so i thought that was a and then i said okay i think everyone was next i to think, think it maybe happened to everybody but yeah it's it's so everyone magical. feels special uh, it was magical and hopefully yeah. i mean uh, as, as i mentioned before we only got one question per for for actor yeah. so, so watch like, out for the so. question we're usually somewhere around the middle of the interviews yeah. but we got the chance to do it in every we interview, were so. very lucky to be able mm -hmm. to ask a question in every single round because we've yeah. had we had some friends that were not as lucky uh yeah. unfortunately which i thought was kind of kind of crappy on the organizer's part but uh yeah it was extremely a lot of fun and you know it's something that we really hope that you guys will enjoy listening to and hopefully before this show now comes out and less than a month now, you'll get some some little nuggets of information there mm -hmm. to kind of get, get even more excited, excited about, it. about it. Yeah. So I mean, I, I know I'm more excited. I don't know about you now. Oh yeah, I'm though, definitely but... more excited. I yeah, like there's you can tell that a lot of love went to the production mm -hmm. of this mm -hmm. show. So I think it's gonna be something, something really, really, really entertaining and deep, and you know, a roar side of Star Wars. Definitely. So I but think without, without further, yeah, further ado. Here we go. Here's the interviews. You don't want to listen to us. You don't want yeah. to listen to all these Star Wars <laughs> stars. So here we go. Do the interviews. Enjoy. Thank you so much. Um, hi, Brandon Wainerty from Talking Bay 94. Um, Kyle and Denise, I would love to delve in a little bit into both of these characters because they're obviously villains in Star Wars, but I don't think that they view themselves as the villains of their own story. How did you craft that character in your own mind as you went through it? And how did you really make sure that was coming across on screen? Well, Tony crafted a, like pretty well-rounded three-dimensional characters first off. And so that made it kind of easy to understand that, you know, we're not in a world of Star Wars where it's, you know, goodies and baddies. It's, uh, it's kind of a deeper, um, exploration of you know the light and shade in everyone and therefore it's holding a mirror up to anyone watching you know there but for the grace of whatever you believe in who knows if you were in Dedra's situation maybe you'd do exactly the same thing 
I mean, who wouldn't torture a few people to get to where they need to get to? <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like Dedra thinks she's the hero of every story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I certainly think Cyril believes he's the hero of his own journey. I remember speaking to Tony at the very beginning when he was fleshing out the arc of the character and he was like, I don't really know where he ends up, you know? I mean, is he good? Is he bad? I, I don't know. And, and so I decided to take that kind of conflict, that gray area, which exists all throughout Andor and exists really in, in Cassian, actually, which was, yeah. you know, beautifully presented in, in Rogue One. It's a really human condition to question the entire time. Is this the right thing I should be doing? Mm. And Cyril really comes from a place of lack and of hunger to strive and be recognized and to have power and station and some form of identity that he can find within this political structure of fascism, basically. And, and that makes you like really ripe for that sort of yeah. that fascist thinking, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, because it's, it's so black and white. If you do this, you will have power. Yeah. If you get this guy, you there will have- There is no have... gray. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. for people who exist on both spectrums to move into that world where there is no gray, it's dangerous because mm. their own shades are all taken out and you just become quite viciously ruthless. Yeah. Ruthless, exactly. Yeah. And James, you can take the next question. Wow, he was cut pretty quickly. Thank you very much for taking time to talk to us. Uh, I wanted to know, uh, bearing in mind that both of you are looking after the security, albeit in slightly different ways, and whether you were able to learn something from each other's characters. Oh God, I think we found in, well, I can only speak for myself, but when I met uh, Kyle's character, when I met Cyril as Dedra, I was like, oh, this makes total sense. Yeah. You know, we had this thing happen too, where in my fitting for my costume, I, I put the uniform on and I was like, yeah, it's great, of course, but I need it tailored and fitted and it needs to be really perfect. And, and the costume designer said that's hilarious because that's what Cyril needed too. So it was really clear that they're both like super meticulous and tidy and clean and they want everything perfect. And yeah. that's why, you know, they sort of. They're like imperial, match. imperial twin flames. And Definitely. They like totally find and see each other within the other. Yeah. And it's like a love story. <laughs> <laughs> like an evil love story. And I think I think you know from Cyril's perspective, he 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 has an interesting journey where um, he starts out quite high, and then he experiences a loss, and he he regains strength through finding Dedra, and so that's yeah. And Dedra starts at the opposite, so I'm yeah. like at the bottom of the of the 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 ladder, you know, and I'm faced with the kind of ineptitude of so many of the men that I'm working for and with. And then she slowly through her own kind of determination and her kind of attention to detail, she rises up at the time when he's going down. So it's like mm. they meet just in this perfect storm of like each of them needing each other at exactly the right time. Mm. Dedra is less sort of um open to it initially you know she doesn't want to share this stuff with anyone but then once it's really clear that he's useful um, persuasively evil yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they live happily ever after it's kind of simple <laughs> and then either charlotte or caitlin from the sky talkers podcast you can take the next question 
Hey, today. Oh, there we oh. go. Oh, hey. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah. Okay, perfect. Sorry. I'm Caitlin from Sky Talkers. So nice to meet you guys. Caitlin. Um, Hi, Caitlin. In Rogue One, in the background. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Rogue One, we heard that rebellions are built on hope. What do you think the Empire is built on during this period? Ooh, that's such a good question. Wow. Ambition. Yeah. No, that's not right, though. If a rebellion is built on hope, an empire is built on... It's the opposite of hope. Yeah. <laughs> Fear and anger. Fear, yeah. <laughs> What's what Yoda says, isn't it? Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Yeah, like the empire is built on like resentment. Yeah, power, domination, you know. Yeah. They're, 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 they're looking to spread their tentacles as far as they can. And, um, and that's the really interesting thing about developing this backstory mm -hmm. of Cassian is you find that we're getting into a new area of Star Wars into the outer reaches where there's not much Imperial influence. And then, spoiler alert, <laughs> here they come. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. And Alex, you can pick the next one. Hi, this is Alex from Star Wars Explained. Thank you both for doing this this morning. Uh, Thanks, Kyle. Hi, Kyle. I've been very interested and intrigued by your character and the group that he's part of. Uh, can you shed some light on that organization, the people in the blue uniforms, and uh, how do they connect with the Empire and uh, Dedra's character? Yeah, well, Dedra uh, exists in an entirely different framework of the Imperial structure, and um, Cyril is at the beginning of Andor, he's on the outer reaches of the kind of Star Wars galaxy in a kind of overlooked star system. And it's very much a kind of corporate bureaucratic structure system. And he's part of the kind of law system that's kind of operating within that system. And um, have I said system enough already? Or I like, say it one more would time. like you to say it again. Okay, I'll, I'll fill it in. Um, and so... <laughs> So as he's trying to rise through the ranks of, of system. that system, um, he, um, he winds up uh, making some really huge mistakes by going behind the back of his superior officers who are really quite lax and feel like, you know, you know, the rebels aren't really anything to worry about. You know, this is just some kind of like little tiff and we don't really want to cause any trouble with, um, the Empire, the Imperial agencies coming in. So why don't you just like sit tight? And that's exactly what Cyril wants. He wants more order, more structure, more Imperial presence. He's like a rebel within that system. Yeah, yeah. In order to get himself to the place of the ISB, which is where Dedra exists. And that would be kind of like, you know, the SS of the kind of yeah. Star Wars universe, which is like very selective, very intense yeah hugely <laughs> very tidy yeah very tidy very, very clean tidy, very clean yeah. very yeah. tidy and then either gustavo or mariana with triad of the force you can take the next question hi kyle hi denise gustavo and mariana hi. from triad of the force how's it hey, going gustavo. Uh, thank you so much for joining us really looking forward to your performances and andor our question is tied more into like real world so we've talked a lot about 
moral ambiguity, like in all of the heroes that we've seen, especially after Rogue One and seeing, you know, Cassian and some of the dark things that he's done for the rebellion and all that good stuff, right? That's supposed to come out of it. But our question is about how the moral ambiguity also comes in from that dark side and the imperial side and how that ties into the response in real world politics that we've seen, because we've seen that this show specifically is tied to what's happening in the current state of politics without naming anything, right? So how has the real world kind of influenced how your portrayal in moral ambiguity as villains or antagonists in the show has mm -hmm. led to your performance? It's funny because George Lucas said that all the Star Wars, uh, especially in the early days, it was all political. It's always political. Even works of fiction can reflect back what's happening societally. And I think the more I think about uh, certainly Deirdre and the position that she's in, this sort of addiction to power and a certain level of fame and uh, what that can do to a soul, you know? So a person who starts out um, with all of these talents, because there's no doubt that these people that we're playing are incredibly talented and intelligent and if put to use in a in something more wholesome, they mm. probably do really well, but mm. they exist within this, you know, fascist re regime. So they apply their talents and their sort of addictions to needing to be seen within this structure. And certainly Dedra as a woman in this man's world, you know, she wants to rise to the top of that structure. Um, so unfortunately they make these sort of poisonous decisions but they come from a place of you know first of all from a place of lack so they're looking for their identities i guess and i think that that is happening in our current climate and has happened throughout history it's just now in our current climate we have you know social media and the ability to get seen and heard in ways that maybe we didn't when the very first Star Wars happened. But yeah, we're moving through the times, aren't we? And this is a very human exploration, a work of fiction for sure, but you know, it's gonna resonate in many ways. It's no, it's, you know, it's no surprise that it's resonated for almost 50 years, yeah. right? Because it's dealing with us and them, the people that have, the people that don't, the people yeah. that are in power, the people that have less power. And those that exist on the outer edges, Cassian, you know, all of the characters that Tony has developed within Andor are all, in a way, outsiders trying to mm. find their place, trying to become part of mm. something, of a movement, mm. of a and cause. All, and yeah, and they're staging their own rebellions within the things, right? Exactly. So we're in like the structure of the ISB and the and the Empire, but within that, we're rebelling. I'm rebelling against the idea that you know someone like Cassian Andor is to be ignored you so she's staging a rebellion within the empire structure and so is is Cyril for sure mm. so there's like many rebellions going on within the big rebellion that you think is just about good and evil it's like yeah but within that there's all these colors too and I think that's what makes kind of long-form episodic shows like this that are able to explore all of that so interesting and so exciting certainly to work on anyway mm. Mm. and then sarah or richard with skywalking through neverland you can take the next question bright suns you two whoa hey. hello hey Hi. we are oh, richard God, there's and so much going on here there's that c3po in the background well oh done. my god that's yoda <laughs> <laughs> that's like a where's waldo <laughs> oh jesus 
It's I'm going to be in there next year. There's going to be a Dedra in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe there already really- is. <laughs> we we have from the skywalking through a Neverland system. Got to get that one worked in there. System. Yeah, right. After just seeing the first four episodes, your your characters are so well defined. Did you model your characters after either someone in the Star Wars universe or in history or from another film? No, I, I think we both just took what was on the page and we had um, really good connection with Tony Gilroy, who, you know, came up with the first few scripts and then had arcs for our character. And we really fleshed it out with him. And I think, I think, you know, if you know about Star Wars, if you've ever seen it, you know, the ghosts of those other characters probably always live within the walls of the sets and everything mm. and, and in the pages. But but what Tony really created was something new and fresh. Mm. And these, these really conflicted villains who, yeah. you know, are existing in a gray area trying to find their way. And, yeah. and so I think they were totally unique. But Gus Fring from Breaking Bad is always oh, yeah, like my him. favorite I don't know. There's just something about his meticulousness and his his sort of complete detachment and yet his ability to kind of perform in the real world. Like you see him in, you know, the chicken place and talking to normal people and then you see him go and prepare to murder someone. And so there's there was something very satisfying about a character like Gus Fring for me as Dedra. He definitely fit into our squad. I definitely yeah, think so. Yeah. So I think. I wouldn't, I don't kind of, I don't base Stedra on him, but he's in the tribe of villains that, yeah, for sure, that's somebody we would invite in to our home <laughs> yeah. that we live in together now in, you know, Disney villain yeah. world. Yeah. And Ben Mendelssohn in Rogue One. Yeah, yeah. He's got to come. Always. <laughs> dead. There we go. Everyone's dead. Sorry, guys. Disney are brutal. And Dan, you can take the next one. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, in both of your performances, how do you balance the science fiction of the Star Wars universe with the tone and realism of Andor? Well, Tony Gilroy did that really. Yeah, like we've yeah. both spoken at length about how when you read, when I read these, certainly the initial three scripts that I was sent, and I'm not, Dedra wasn't in any of them. All I was reading was like a new piece of writing, like a thriller, spy, love story, uh, rebellion story that then happens to be in the Star Wars universe. I, I didn't I certainly didn't read it from. And I worried about before I uh, before I agreed to to do or to kind of pursue the the role, I I wanted to read the script so that I would be able to relate because I'm I. I'm a theater actress and who mostly any screen work I do is all very emotional, very human, very based in the real world. And I thought maybe I'm not cut out for that, the world of Star Wars. And then, and then I got sent these scripts and I was like, oh, this is not, this is not a space show. This is like a human show that happens to be in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. And I think that's, unbelievably clever what Tony Definitely. accomplished because he's he's gonna give diehard fans exactly what they're looking for yeah. but he's also gonna probably bring in a whole group of people who haven't been Star Wars fans yeah. because they can connect with this socio-political human drama story that is also a thriller and a spy for thing sure. and and it's 
it's something that you know i mean me i'll watch it i've never watched star wars exactly. but i'll watch this if you one. can get her <laughs> you know you're doing something right <laughs> and keith you over. can take the next question <laughs> so uh hi i'm keith yard from um father son galaxy star wars podcast what's up keith so, oh my god keith hello hey hello hi please sorry i'm really excited to meet you keith you're the youngest really? person we've had yeah because yeah. you're the youngest person we've had and we've been saying through this whole junket we've been saying the thing that we love about being in star wars is that a really young person can speak to a really old person about like the same older thing. than us yeah <laughs> about the same thing and be as excited. And now you're proving our point. Yes. yes. Oh my God, this is so yes. exciting. Okay, ask us anything. We will give you every spoiler. Give you all the answers. We will yeah. tell you everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lexi, I only have a spoiler related question. I wanted to ask like, where were your scenes as a Dedra Zero filmed and why is shooting on location so important to the storytelling? Wow, what a great question. Oh my God. So uh, we shot in Pinewood Studios in London and Dedra because it's quite, um, uh, it's mostly in the ISB. So it's very, it was in a studio, but obviously built. And then I had one day where I shot in this village, this town that was built by the art department and the design department that was so um, it made it so beautiful to act in because you didn't have to pretend like I thought that the whole thing was going to be green screen and then I would be pretending to talk to people and and instead we had this whole playground to play in like it was for me it it's it's not that it has to be that way but I do think that it's better for actors to work on the real thing you know yeah absolutely know. and it also it it pays homage to the original films you know and they were building all those sets you know they didn't have a lot of cgi yeah. and we were afforded that because of when we were filming it during the pandemic and it just it gives it an extra level of authenticity and makes you feel like you're really there yeah and all the drawers have stuff in it and yeah. all the cupboards have things in it and yeah. like there was like a sushi bar that well it seemed like a sushi bar but in space and like all these bowls of food and I thought well there won't be anything in them and then I went over and there was like blue noodles and like little insects that we were oh, it was just yeah, you would have really liked it. It's the it, most incredible thing. Yeah. Yeah. Kids should be allowed to go and like play on yeah, that after we're yeah, done. Yeah. How old are you? I'm actually 10, right? My 11th birthday soon. Wow. Awesome. Happy 11th birthday. Good for you. Happy birthday, man. Person. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Um, the question we wanted to ask is, given that this is the, the third time that you came back to play this character in live action, how has your approach to your to how you portray the character and your perspective on the character changed as you've played the character at each uh, different stage in your life? I think we know Mon Mothma so much from the films over the years, from where Carolyn Blackstone originated her in Return of the Jedi, through to the few times that I have had the opportunity to play her. But each of those times previously, they were quite public roles, and that she has a dignity and a serenity to her that makes me 
it reminds me of like a pillar for the rebellion, something strong, something calm. And what was an extraordinary gift with Tony Gilroy's writing with Andor is that we meet Mon Mothma in a completely different place navigate and navigating a very different world than we're used to her seeing. She feels um, very, uh, she's working within the empire. She feels different. She looks different, but we also meet a private side of Mon Mothma. We get to meet not just the figure, but also the woman. And that's what I think will be exciting for fans um, to watch as much as, as it is for me to play. All right, next we have Brian with Pink Milk Podcast. Hello, I'm Brian from Pink Milk, where we talk Star Wars queerly. And I'm not sure if you're aware how stunning you look in Aww. every one of those trailer shots and the energy you have on that couch has instantly made you an absolute gay icon so i hope you're aware <laughs> of that because we're all in love with you um well you have to is... give a nod to michael wilkinson there our costume okay. designer he's extraordinary <laughs> well thank you michael um do you have any advice as mon mothma to to young queer people who are growing up in a time where our rights are being threatened the media portraying us is not handling us well yet again and and there's kind of a smear campaign against our entire community in the in in the united states right now and star wars is such a inspirational story and characters like mon mothma creating the rebellion i think can inspire a lot of young people um do you have any advice from mon mothma for that yeah i'm gonna lean into where we find mon mothma in andor and she is somewhere different than we've seen her before. Usually she's surrounded by a band of rebels. She's in with like-minded thinking people. When we meet her at the beginning of Andor, she is a lonely voice in opposition. She is trying to have a voice in a, in a space, in a workplace, in a world where everyone seems to be thinking differently to her. And they are oppressing her ideas they are oppressing people what we're what we know in star wars and we know where we're going to go in andor is very different from where we start where we start we have all these characters both mon mothma and cassian andor among others who feel alone in their fight who feel alone in their beliefs in their ideas I think what we ex what what will happen going forward is that they will find each other, that they will reach out, that they will risk, that they will find their community, and it is in finding your community that that you can collaborate and you can stand up and you can seek to make a change and revolt together. Next, we have Trisha with Fangirls going rogue. Thank you for joining us. The Mon Mothma scenes in Revenge of the Sith were uh, mostly cut. And will it be worth the wait to finally see the political scenes as Mon Mothma evolves as the leader of the Rebel Alliance we finally see in Rogue One? 
I hope so. That's what was so exciting for me to come in and step into Tony Gilroy's writing in Andor. He is writing not just the political figure, not just for Mon Mothma, the, the rebel or who will become the rebel leader, but he is writing for her as a woman, what it costs to be this figure, how dangerous it is to, for her to stand up for what she believes in. And I think we will, given the time and the narrative space that Tony and Disney are investing in her, I think it will be worthwhile. I think the wait is worthwhile and I'm excited to have the opportunity to play it. Keith with Father Son Galaxy, a Star Wars podcast. Hi, so I'm Keith Yarn from Father Side Galaxy. Uh, Hi, like, Keith. Hello. So I wanted to ask you about how, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Mon Mothma was played by another actress in Return of the Jedi for a very brief few minutes in the movie. But when you got pitched to play the character, how was Mon Mothma described to you that made you want to be like, yeah, I want to play this role? That's a great question, Keith. Um, I think when I was offered the role um, or to step into the shoes of Mon Mothma nearly 17 years ago now, when I was a young actor for the film Revenge of the Sith, it was really important for me to look at what George Lucas and Caroline Blackston created originally for Return of the Jedi. And you're right, it was a very small scene but it was a really important scene within the film. And I think the character of Mon Mothma has a lot of gravitas within the Star Wars world because of who she is as a woman, how she stands up with a quiet confidence, with a dignity and a serenity, with a calm leadership that the rebels need at that time and continue to need in each iteration that we see her. Brandon with Talking Bay 94. Hi, this is Brandon from Talking Bay 94. Um, a real quick question, just because it's been mentioned how much you've been in Star Wars for almost 20 years now. How has that evolved for you? And how has it remained the same with Andor going from big screen to animation and now live action television? Well, I think as an actor, I inhabit the role. That's my job. So whether that's television or uh, animation with the voice or um, big screen, it's essentially the same job. I have to st I have to inhabit a character and bring her to life. I will say that I think Andor in particular is unashamedly ambitiously cinematic in its scope and in its scale. So it felt like a piece of film that we were making every day. The designs, um, the, the set design, the costume design. It's huge. It's epic. 
And it's wonderful to get to play Mon Mothma again in that arena. James with Jedi News. Hi there. I wanted to ask um, how you feel about portraying the same character over the last 17 years and how you feel the character has grown. It's a unique opportunity to get to play a, the same character at different times in her life relative to the different points in my life. And I feel I have grown with her. It's wonderful to have the opportunity at this moment to explore her as a woman, as a leader in a difficult time. I'm thrilled that I have the opportunity to do that now at this point in my life where I have a history of not just this character behind me, but of other roles. And I can bring, I think, a texture to the development of this character that I wouldn't have been able to had I, been had, 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 I had an opportunity to do that 20 years ago. Charlotte and Caitlin from Sky Talkers Podcast. Hi, Genevieve, I'm Charlotte from Sky Talkers. So great to talk with you today. Um, from what we've seen of Mon Mothma in the show so far and before as well, she has an amazing eye for fashion. Can you talk a little bit about your wardrobe and how it may have informed your performance? I worked with our genius costume designer, Michael Wilkinson, very closely. He has a beautiful eye. And he worked with Francoise and Malin and the, th the, the three of them curated her outfits in a way that I haven't been able to experience before in film or television. Michael, Malin and Francoise worked almost as with me, almost as if we were in an atelier for haute couture. They crafted and curated and created these beautiful, beautiful pieces of wardrobe that I never knew Mon Mothma would have had. It was a joy to be given the opportunity not only to wear those costumes and to feel different as Mon Mothma in them, but also to help craft them with Michael Wilkinson. And I'm looking forward to yourself and fans to seeing Mon Mathma in those pieces of work and seeing that labor of love on screen. Alex from Star Wars Explained. Hi, Genevieve. I am so excited to see the Imperial Senate in Andor. Uh, it's been kind of vague to Star Wars fans even since the original film. So how would Mon Mothma describe its inner workings in public, and then how might she describe it to a trusted friend behind closed doors? Ooh, I'll start with the fact that the Imperial Senate is vast and huge and exposing. And when one is speaking in a space like that, it exposes vulnerabilities. It also exposes your passion. It forces you to steal yourself and have a voice in your beliefs. 
it can be alienating because it is so vast, because it represents such interplanetary structure. There will be voices aligned with mine and there will be many voices opposed. I think the inner machinations of a space like that are difficult to navigate. And as a character, one has to be brave to step into them, to own your own voice and fight for what you believe in, even when you might fail. Gustavo and Mariana, Triad of the Force. Hi, Genevieve, it's Gustavo and Mariana with Triad of the Force. So happy to talk to you. Uh, our question is, uh, obviously we've seen Mon Mothma and Return of the Jedi and in that movie, it's just like this mythic leader of the rebellion. And then we see her portrayal in Revenge of the Sith, where there she's a more hopeful character that tries to reform uh, the Republic from within, from the chaos that she sees might be glooming. Obviously, the Republic fell, and we have the Empire now. So we have Mon Mothma in a different place right now in the series for Andor. So how do you take like those two moments of Mon Mothma's life from Revenge of the Sith and Return of the Jedi and kind of combine them to where she's at now? And how is it different from both moments in time? Well, really, in regard to the moments in time, the only moment in time that has happened before this story, before Andor, is Revenge of the Sith. We have yet to get to the Mon Mothma in Rogue One, and then eventually the Mon Mothma in uh, Return of the Jedi. Obviously, they inform my portrayal of her because I know that they exist and I want to pay homage not only to Caroline and the work that she did in Return of the Jedi, but also the work that uh, Tony and Diego and I, among many others, did in Rogue One. The scenes that were shot in Revenge of the Sith didn't really make it to the to the final cut, but they still exist in deleted scenes. And they also live with inside me because I got to play them. And so they live in my cellular memory. But what's wonderful about Andor and where we find Mon Mothma in such a new space in Andor is that she can carry those hopes and those beliefs and that idealism that she had in Revenge of the Sith but it can manifest in such a completely different reality when she has to continue to stand and fight against this wall of opposition as a woman in a working environment that is the Imperial Senate. Sarah and Richard with Skywalking Through Neverland. Good morning, Senator. We are Richard and Sarah from Skywalking Through Neverland. And our Hi. question is that we see, you mentioned that Mon Mothma had a private side. And, you know, we see here that you, we see her in her day-to-day -day life at home. She has a husband. So what is it about her personality that you thought was most important to portray in these scenes? And also because you have so much experience playing Mon Mothma over 20 years, what have you brought from your life experience to these private scenes? 
It's wonderful to know the public woman, to know her serenity, to know her um, dignity, and to have the opportunity as an actor when she enters a private space to be able to let that go, to be able to take a cloak off. In fact, maybe in it, I'm not sure if I'm remembering correctly, but maybe in that first scene, you see me take off the imperial uh, medal. And I wanted to, 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 to do that to show that in life, sometimes we have to release ourselves from the robes we, were, we wear. And that was what we're reaching for with um, the different sides of Mon Mothma through Andor to reassess who she is publicly when we see who she is privately. What is, can, can we break down that serenity? Can we break through that glass that she is and see what is perhaps more chaotic and more difficult and more painful in her private life? And then how does that inform who the woman, the woman she is going forward? How much can that give texture to this public woman that we know we know we know going forward if we know the 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 pain or the the cost in her private life that she has had to carry with her? And last question, Dan with coffee with Kenobi. Hi, thanks so much. Talk about the amazing fellow actors that you work with and how you all work together to enhance one another's performance. In Andor, there is quite an extraordinary ensemble of brilliantly talented actors. Diego Luna, Adria Rona, Denise Goff, Kyle Soller, Fiona Shaw. I'm not sure how many more I'm allowed to mention, but I'll start with those. They are the cream of acting talent both in this country and in in yours it's a joy to be to stand alongside actors of that caliber to stretch each other to to push each other to inspire each other with you know yourself with great fellowship around you with with everyone else reaching you can only work better and 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 achieve more they're a special group of people and i'm really excited for everyone to see their collective the collective work that is the ensemble of andor hi diego this is brandon from talking bay 94 so great to get to talk to you uh you've mentioned before that you had a backstory, at least some semblance of an idea of what Cassian's, you know, life had been before Rogue One when you when you portrayed him initially. How close does this show match to it in terms of both tone and theme, but also specifics? In terms of the specifics, not at all. Uh, obviously, not at all, and gladly because probably the story would have been boring if it was mine. And and the writing of Tony Gilroy is amazing and complex and intense and and interesting. Um, but uh, but in essence, it's there. It's all there, you know. Uh, I had to answer myself those questions of like, what what, what is he? 
what does he mean when he says like I've been part of this fight since I was six years old? You know, how come can he say that? I mean, what is he referring to? Uh, what what is that dark past he talks about? What is that terrible stuff he did for the rebellion? All of that I I, I had an answer for and tonally and 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 yeah. It does connect with Tony's ideas, you know, but gladly, this is much more interesting, obviously. And uh, and the the building of the backstory is so perfect, man. It is like every question has an answer. He writes uh, such rich material, you know, uh, full of tiny layers that create a very complex structure. Uh, I, I really like his writing and 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 his view on 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 this show. Okay, James, please. Hi, Diego. A few years ago, you you got down on your knees to talk to my daughter at the Rogue One premiere in London. And I did. I to talk, ah. You did. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you what what how your children have reacted to your character and being in Star Wars you know, back when you were doing Rogue One and to now, how have their reactions changed? Well, there it's different. My daughter is much more into it now than back then, you know. She was, she, she, she was uh, I guess, too young and, and the film was too challenging for her. Uh, and, and, and my son loves the idea and is very excited. And, and it, it was nice because with the series, I, I I could, I had the chance to 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 share much more with them. You know, like when when I was shooting the film, uh, I had to keep a lot to myself. Um, I was also kind of like nervous, and uh, uh, it, it felt like uh, I had to be like just concentrated in the in the in the film. Because it, it felt in a way that I was thrown into like a vehicle already moving, you know. Uh, and here it's different. I've been involved as a producer. Therefore, I've been part of this project for four years and a half, you know. And uh, I've been able to talk to them about the whole process and explain what's happening and uh, showing them stuff. And 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 gladly, uh, I have the chance, yeah, to share this with them and make sure they understand what I do. because. At the end, I'm doing this for them too, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. And and yeah, they they are excited about it, and I'm glad I'm glad for that. Charlotte and Caitlin. Hi, Diego. My name is Caitlin from Sky Talkers. So great to talk to you today. Um, so my question is: knowing how Cassian's story ends. What do you think it is about him that makes him so compelling that we want to return to his life now? I think, uh, well, first of all, that that what he does, uh, like the rest of the team in 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 Rogue One, uh, is something that not many do. You know, that makes him being very like different and and interesting and uh, and a character to celebrate. I think you know. What, what what that team is willing to do, the sacrifice themselves for a cause, it's something that makes them unique, you know, I think. But what is interesting here is that 
we we're gonna we're gonna find out that he was really far away from being that person at the beginning, you know, and that he in fact uh, is 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 a. It's like you or me, you know, like there is it's a story about real people that you can connect with, that you can empathize and uh, and uh, understand their journey, you know, because, um, yeah, Cassian, when we find him is a he's a guy that is just trying to survive, you know, in, in dark moments of his life. He 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 carries a lot of pain and uh, and and he has no hope in 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 becoming something he could you know feel proud of uh, uh and that's where we find him and the journey the journey and the 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 awakening of the revolutionary is what i think it, it can be very interesting to witness you know alex Hi, Diego. This is Alex from Star Wars Explained. I am so, so excited for Andor. Star Wars has a long, proud history of giving fans uh, more context of other characters through, usually it's been books or comics. It's so awesome to see it happening on this scale now. How do you anticipate fans uh, viewing Rogue One or other Star Wars stories after watching Andor? I I I do think that you you're gonna be able to watch uh, Rogue One after after seeing Andor with different eyes. You know, you're gonna understand the characters in a different way, and uh, and you're gonna you're gonna see stuff you were not seeing. You know, uh, it's it's quite interesting because. Rogue One is is, is is pretty much about an event, you know? You don't get to know much about the characters. You know a little about Jin and that's it, you know? But uh, it's, it's, it's more about what they're capable of doing when they work together as a team. And now we're gonna tell you what needed to happen for someone to become that person. Uh, and I think you're gonna revisit Rogue One with different eyes. You know, you're gonna understand what he's talking about, uh, and and what what was the life of people in order to be willing to 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 become part of change, to articulate something, you know, to to fight the empire, uh, articulate something in a community, you know, become part of a community that feels strong enough to fight. To fight the empire, uh, I think uh, this show is going to show you what their lives were like. You know how difficult it was to to leave, how little freedom you had, uh, how marginalized uh, society was. You know, and uh, and also you're going to learn a lot about the people working uh, for the empire. You know, because this show also tells you those stories. And you will you will also get to know what their life is like, you know, and you'll get to meet the the people behind the 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 uniforms, you know. So I think it's going to be interesting uh, for audiences to yeah to go back and watch Rogue One after. And Mariana. Eh, saludos Diego, Gustavo y Mariana from Puerto Rico and Tried of the Force. <laughs> Muchas gracias, <laughs> by the way, por ser un por ser la representación latina en Star Wars. We're very appreciate appreciative of you in that position. 
my mom says hi by the way she loves you in Havana nights uh, so <laughs> the first question that we have for you I mean the question that we have for you though is that you had mentioned in a previous interview that uh, Andor is going to be the story of the journey of a migrant and that's something that resonates with us right as Latinos and people you know uh, the diaspora that's here in the United States that come from other parts of Latin America so our question is uh, how do you see Cassian Andor and how does he represent Uh, Latinos in their struggle against colonialism? How is that represented in the show and how do you connect with that struggle? Well, the, the beauty of Star Wars is that uh, it, it's like like every piece of, of, of science fiction, uh, it's, a, it's a great tool to make comments on, on, on the present and on, on reality, you know? Uh, by telling you I'm going to Uh, tell you a story about a galaxy far, far away. Uh, you'll bring down your guard, you know, and and then I can tell you a story that it, even though it happens in a galaxy far, far away, it might have a lot to tell you about your own reality in your galaxy, you know. And uh, it is it is kind of, uh, I mean, it's part of Star Wars. It's always been, you know. Uh, it, That, that Star Wars makes comments and, and that reflects a moment in history. Uh, and, uh, and yes, this, this story is pretty much about, a, a, I mean, Cassian is a, is a refugee, you know? He's been forced to move uh, without being able to look back. Um, he, he, he leaves something behind uh, and, and in, in Rogue One, no one, no one has his accent. He comes clearly from somewhere else than uh, than the rest, you know, and uh, and and this this uh, Andor is a story uh, about people, you know, coming from different places and and articulating uh, a thing called community, you know, that that makes them stronger. Uh, and I think, yeah, I mean that that has a lot to do with the world we live in, you know, and what's needed uh, these days, you know. Uh, it's a, it's a, it makes the story pertinent, you know. I think, and uh, and it's one of the reasons why I'm involved in this project is because uh, I, I feel I, I can, uh, I can tell a story that matters today. Yeah. Sarah and Richard. Hey, hey, Mr. Luna. Hashtag uh -huh. Cassian lives. <laughs> We are Richard and Sarah from Skywalking Through Neverland. And now I had a question for you about being an executive producer. Did you have any control over the composer or the musical elements that we see in this series? And what were your suggestions to help this music stand on its own for this series? I, I have to say that I witnessed uh, the process of... Uh, The, I witnessed the process, always impressed by what was happening. You know, uh, it's uh, Tony Gilroy. It, it, it's it's quite an interesting leader. Uh, uh, he thinks of everything uh, before you're even shooting. You know, uh, I'll tell you a story. There is one scene. I won't tell you which scene because uh, I will be spoiling uh, the story. But. Uh, There was a piece of music that ex that was created before we even shot the scene where that music is part of the score and it's 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 happening there. Like there is 
there is this piece of music that matters so much in an episode that it existed before we even like went on shooting. And uh, I was on set playing a moment, like a, a scene where this music is going to be playing, you know, and uh, and I could hear the music when I was shooting, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this story because I think Tony writes and when he writes, he has to know uh, what the space of that he's writing for is, you know, it has to be designed already, you know, uh, the space where the scene happens. He doesn't write like, well, this happens in the lobby of a hotel, da, da, da. No, he says, this happens in the lobby of a hotel that is like this. Uh, and uh, and you can tell he had a drawing and he worked with the production designer before writing the scene on what space was the scene gonna happen in, you know? Uh, same thing with the music. I think he, he ambitions how things are gonna sound before they're even shot, you know? And when he's writing, he has that in mind. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite amazing. So, when when you ask me about the music, I was I was just celebrating every step of the of the process, you know, because he's so much in control. And obviously, we have like not not a composer, we have the composer, you know. Ciao. Hey, uh, hi, thank. Is... Oh, did you say Dan? I'm not sure. Yes. Oh, perfect. Good. Hello. Hello. Good. Good to see you, my friend. Andor's this bold, new, mature direction in Star Wars storytelling. And I think we learned that in the first 10 minutes of the first episode. Can you talk about the shift in tone to a much more adult Star Wars story? Yeah, I don't know if I would say adult. I would say definitely complex. Uh, I would say darker and greedier. But I, I don't know if adult would be the, the, the word because my son, I think it's going to be hooked to this, you know, and he's 14 years old. Uh, I think it's about what you look for in, in, in storytelling, you know, and I think there's audiences for everything. And, and this, this story, it, it definitely uh, touches on, on, a, on a more, yeah, darker and greedier tone uh, close to 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 a, a spy thriller you know the the it's a, it's a political thriller too there's uh the, obviously there is moments of like big action and adventure but uh but it's also complex and it's more character driven and and we'll get to 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 see those people relating you know and will be patient to witness uh the life of of, of these characters uh the the long format allows you to do that you know to not to not to have to choose and stay uh in one mode like to to move around to transit uh and and and, and the show is ambitious in that way you know because it does it does try to go uh uh to places you are not expecting, you know, basically. George and Josh. Hi, thank you so much for being able to talk with everyone today. Um, so we had a question commenting on something that Tony Gilroy had mentioned during 
uh, Rogue One, he had talked about how the film wasn't set into place and the, the version that fans were able to see it, the, the final cut was very different from uh, the kind of original conception of the project. Um, was anything similar like that occurring uh, with Andor? How different is the product that uh, you know we've had the opportunity to watch now compared to maybe some of the, uh, the original uh, vision for the series? I mean, I don't know. It's um, I don't think much. I don't think much. Uh, but but there is something that happens, and and it's the nature of collaboration. You know, it's like there's an idea, but then uh, a producer comes in. You know, like Sana, and uh, and her perspective matters, and then suddenly. That sh shapes the project in a different way. Then we start working with Luke, who's the set designer, the production designer, who's uh, an amazing mind. And, uh, uh, and and when he starts designing, even the scenes change, you know, because they are going to happen in a different place. So the writing has to change. And then you cast uh, the project, you know, and uh, even though you had in mind someone, uh, when you end up casting, uh, an amazing actor comes uh, out of nowhere and you go like, shit, that's that's a character and that transforms things. So and, and that happens more in, in, in this format, in 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 a series than than in film, you know, because a series it's like the process starts for the first block uh, and you start shooting while, you know, there's stuff that is still being written, you know, it's a machine that doesn't, doesn't stop. So obviously uh, things are not what they are till you, you finish all the process. Um, but what I can tell you is that the, the energy, the, the vision, it's been, it's been one since, since the start, you know, since we 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 started pre-producing this, and and it's Tony Gilroy's, uh, and uh, and obviously all of us we are around to collaborate and to uh, help his vision elevate to where it deserves, you know. But uh, but it's all about his vision. Well, that's all we got from those interviews. So we Holy hope crap. you enjoyed them <laughs> as much as we did. And Isn't like that amazing? We said at the beginning, you had better now be even more excited about this show because we certainly are. And, and even the actors are so excited so that we can see the product of their sweat, tears, and labor. So yeah, yeah. And hopefully we asked some poignant questions that were, you know, good to gleam some, mm -hmm. if not some information about the show going forward, at least some information about the characters themselves and what they the mean actors, for the yes. show and to the actor. So we'll see. Like there were a lot of good questions in there. Like I know like some of our friends really did some good ones. Hopefully ours were uh, equal, if not better. Yeah, let but, us know yeah. in the comments. Go let ahead. us know. What was your favorite question? Yeah. Was it Alex <laughs> from Star Wars Explain or was it or or was it the Triad of the Force? Come on. Let's let's start the battle royale. <laughs> or Brian from Pilk Milk. Yeah. Or, we'll, there were a lot of really let's, good let's, questions yeah, in there. Let's start that competition there in the comments. <laughs> Well, until next time, we are Triad of the Force. Thank you for joining us. As always, we will keep you posted with Andor, and we are very, very excited to watch. So until next time, may the Force be with you. Mm -hmm.